So with that said, let's turn in our Bibles this morning to 2 Thessalonians. We're going to be in chapter 2 this morning, covering verses 1 to 17. I titled this morning's message, Stand Fast in the Lord. We're going to be uh, picking it back up this morning in uh, 2 Thessalonians, but reviewing and looking back at 1 Thessalonians. We know that when Paul wrote the first letter, it was a letter of praise. It was a letter of thanksgiving uh, to God because he got this encouraging report about the believers there at Thessalonica of all that God had done in them and how they were just being examples to all those in Macedonia and Achaia. They were going out spreading the gospel everywhere they went, even in the midst of persecution. Paul, in the first letter, he included some important doctrines for them to know. He also talked to them about their conduct and how they should walk, how they should live. And then he closed with some words of exhortation to them in the first letter. Five chapters. Second Thessalonians is primarily a letter of correction. Uh, Paul had got word that there was some confusion about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And I believe about the rapture of the church. That the believers there were confused over really two things. The timing of Christ's return and also the gathering together to Him. In chapter 1 of 2 Thessalonians, Paul wrote to these believers about God's final judgments and the glory that was going to follow in Him and in you. This final judgment was important for them to know. That all of the persecution they were experiencing from their adversaries against the Gospel and against themselves, that the day would come where God would deal with those things. We need to be aware that there will come a final judgment day for those who have rejected, for those who are persecuting God's people. But that judgment is in the hands of our Lord. But it will come. In, second, uh, in the second chapter, Paul this morning is going to address these two questions about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and the gathering together to Him. And then in chapter 3, when we close this second letter, Paul's going to have a prayer request. You see, Paul needed prayer too. He said, pray for me. Pray for us. And then he's going to close with some final exhortations to these believers. Remember, I shared that First and Second Thessalonians were possibly some of the first letters that Paul wrote. And within these two letters of, uh, of Thessalonians, there is more written about the return of Jesus Christ than any other of the writings in the New Testament. Maybe next to the book of Revelations, it speaks of end times. But in regards to Christ's return, these are the, the two letters. In the first letter, Paul had written to them about 
various truths concerning the rapture of the church. He talked about the resurrection of our bodies and and even brought in the day of the Lord, the second coming of Christ. Those two, there needs to be a distinction between those two events. I shared when we began these letters that we can find Paul writing something in each one of the chapters of these letters. Uh, Look at uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. Paul writes, And to wait for His Son from heaven, whom God raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Aren't you thankful that we are not appointed to wrath? That He is going to deliver you from the wrath that is yet to come. There is coming a future day of wrath upon this earth that is going to come from the hand of God. This hasn't happened yet. It's still future. In chapter 2, verse 19, Paul wrote, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? He was looking forward to that day when He would stand with all the, the saints, all those that He had seen come to know Christ. And He would be standing there on that day with them. You're our hope. You're our joy. You're our rejoicing. I can't wait for that day. In chapter 3, verse 12, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love towards one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all of His saints. God wants to do a work in our hearts here and now. He's preparing us for that day when you're going to stand before Him. And and our desire should be, God, I want to stand before You holy. I want to come into Your presence on that day and not be ashamed. I want to be in a place in my walk that as I'm walking with You, that when I stand before You, it's going to be a glorious day. I don't want to be caught off guard or caught in a, a place of compromise when the Lord returns. We need to be reminded of these things, church. That Jesus Christ is coming back. He will come back just as surely as He came the first time. He will return. Paul wrote in chapter 4, verse 13, that he told the believers, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. I know we had a funeral recently with Steve and Betty's Betty's father. And I know, because I've heard her testimony of her father, they weren't sorrowing as those who had no hope. I know that brute sorrowing without hope, that, that's before Christ. Those that know, when you know somebody's gone to be with the Lord, wow, what a difference. Paul went on to say, For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. That's the hope of the resurrection. 
those that have passed on before us, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds. We're going to come together face to face to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. And Paul finishes with, therefore comfort one another with these words. I know all of us are looking forward to that day. Those that were assured that are in heaven with the Lord of being reunited with them. In chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. And then in chapter 5, verse 23, Now may the Lord of peace Himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, obviously, when he spent that short amount of time with these new believers and in discipling them, he must have said many things to them about the second coming and the return of Jesus Christ for His church. I, I think that these believers, they, they were given the, the basic understanding of Christ's return. Paul saw the, the need for them to know this. Just as there is the same need today in the church, that people need to know that Christ is coming back. And it, and it should have an effect on the way we live. And, the, and, and the, the desire that we have to live for the Lord wholeheartedly and, and without compromise. We're living, though, in days where there is much confusion within the church. As a matter of fact, there are churches that have divided over this subject of Christ's return. It's not that most of them say that he's not coming back. It has to do with the timing. It has to do with when and how and, and all these things. And it, and it has brought actually a lot of confusion within the body of Christ. When we read in Paul's letters here, he uses this term, the day of the Lord. It's actually found four times in the New Testament. It's found many more times in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, the first time we see it is in Acts chapter 2, verse 20. Remember when Peter got up on that day of Pentecost and preached that evangelistic message? Part of his message was speaking about the day of the Lord, quoting from the prophet Joel. Then in our text... In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we already covered this, Paul spoke of the day of the Lord. In 2 Thessalonians 2.2, in our text this morning, he speaks of it. And then also in 2 Peter 3.10 is the fourth time that Peter speaks of the day of the Lord. Now the day of the Lord, just so that we know, uh, in Scripture, it's referred to in a number of different ways. It's referred to as the time of Jacob's trouble. It's also referred to as the Great Tribulation, the 70th week of Daniel, 
the day of God's wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of judgment, a day of vengeance, and all of these and more are all just different names that are given to this particular time called the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord, though, needs to be understood that it's not just one day, but it actually is a sequence of time. It's a period of time. It can also refer to a specific event or a time frame that God is dealing with mankind. That's what I believe that the day of the Lord is. That is to be distinguished from the gathering together to Him, which I believe is the rapture of the church. You don't find the word rapture in Scripture, but you do find the words, the gathering together to Him. The nation of Israel and all living Jews are going to be dealt with during this time that we call the day of the Lord. It's the seven-year tribulation period. God is also going to deal with the Gentile nations that have rejected Him. And He's going to deal with Satan. He's going to deal with all the fallen angels that followed after Him during this day of the Lord, this seven-year tribulation period. We know that Peter spoke of this day in 2 Peter 3.10. He says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. And I believe this is in a reference to the second coming at the end of the tribulation period. The prophet Joel spoke of the day of the Lord. In Joel 2.30, he says, The Lord will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming and the great and awesome day of the Lord. A specific time, the tribulation period, where God is going to unleash His judgments and His wrath against a Christ-rejecting world. Paul, back in 1 Thessalonians 5.1, says, The day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. When they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Again, a reference, I believe, to the end of the tribulation period. Keep in mind that the church age that we live in is a period in church history where uh, it's of a different dispensation. You see, in the Old Testament, it was the dispensation of the law. You and I are living in the church age. We're living in a dispensation of the time of God's grace. 
right now. Aren't you glad? It's a time of God's grace. The first was the period of the law. Now the period of grace. But what's still coming and yet future is a period or a time of judgment that will happen during that seven-year tribulation period. But then following that seven-year tribulation period, there's going to be another period of a thousand years called the millennial reign of Christ, where Christ is going to set up His kingdom here on earth. He's going to be seated once again on the throne of David, and He's going to reign, and you and I are going to reign, those that know Christ, with Him for a thousand years. Why? Because God is going to bring full circle. Everything that was lost in the fall and everything that came down through all of history is going to be brought full circle when He is once again seated on that throne in Jerusalem on the throne of David reigning over this earth for a thousand years. You know who's going to be locked up during that time? Satan himself. The time of God's judgment known as the day of the Lord is going to start shortly after the rapture of the church. Seven years of tribulation with a thousand year millennial reign to follow after that. As I've said, all Christians do believe that Jesus Christ is coming back, or at least they should. If you're a Christian and don't believe Jesus is coming back, something's really wrong. But most, if not all Christians, believe that Jesus is coming back. It just has to do with the timing, the manner in which He will return that people get confused and they debate over. But let me first say, that if you've ever been confused about the issues of Christ's second coming and the rapture of the church and the timing and how and, and all these questions, know this, that that confusion did not come from God. That confusion did not come from the Bible. Because the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 14.33 that God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. God doesn't bring about confusion in the body of Christ when it comes to His Word. He's the one that leads us into truth. So where does confusion come from? It comes from man. It comes when we start to look to man for answers. It's when we are searching the internet on these subjects and then we come up with page after page after page of all these different people that have their opinion on when the rapture and if the rapture and when the Lord's coming back and then we sit there more confused than when we started. That's where confusion comes from. It does not come from the Lord. God wants to reveal, I believe, these simple truths to us. We just need to keep it simple and keep it to the Word of God. Stay and keep your your eyes in the Word of God and you won't ever really be confused. Now, you might say, well, I've read the book of Revelation and there's a whole lot of that that didn't make sense to me, if you want to call that confusion. Here's really what's happening. God wants to reveal every one of those truths to you and I. But many times there are certain truths that you need to get first before you're going to get those truths. 
Does that make sense? If you're trying to figure out certain truths of the Bible before you've got this piece of the puzzle put in place, God says, I'm not ready to reveal that to you yet. But I will. Just keep diligently looking to my Word. Keep searching my Scriptures. Keep it in the Word of God. And in my time, I will reveal that truth to you. Then we don't sit there going, oh, I am so confused. It's because we're trying to figure it out. Trust that the Holy Spirit, the illuminator of God's Word, the one that reveals and opens our eyes to truth, the teacher, the Holy Spirit, wants to reveal these truths to you and I. Look at your Bibles, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. Paul writes, Now brethren, he keeps using this word brethren all the way through these two letters. Nineteen times he uses the word brethren. Why? He's writing to Christians. He's writing to believers. He says, Now brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, we ask you. Here's Paul really speaking of two, I believe, different events. I believe that Paul already addressed the question of the rapture back in 1 Thessalonians 4.16. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God, trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So let me ask you, are you alive this morning? I I think everyone in here is alive. If Jesus Christ were to come back today, what would happen? You would have to go somewhere. If Jesus Christ came back, you would go to be with Him. I believe that's the rapture of the church. Those that have died and passed on, Uh, we're told that the dead in Christ are going to rise first. In Christ, meaning those that knew Jesus Christ, but they passed on before us. But it tells me here that we're going to be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. That, I believe, is what is being referred to here in verse 1 as our gathering together to Him, the rapture of the church. The problem is, There are people that have misguided people, I believe, when it comes to this issue of the rapture. And they want to say, well, there is no rapture in Scripture. Well, how are we going to get into heaven, those that are alive and remain? How are we getting there? There has to be some form of translation. There has to be some way that you're going to be exiting this body that can't enter into heaven this flesh and blood, and with a new body that is going to enter into the presence of God. There will be a translation of your body. The coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is a specific coming. Uh, This word coming, actually, in our text here, is the Greek word parousia. And the word, if you were to break the word down, it's para, which means alongside. And 
Parousia being, uh, which means being, and it literally means alongside or being in one's presence. And the presence I believe that it's speaking of here is the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, when the rapture happens and what this word coming of our Lord Jesus Christ is that when you come together or when we come together with Him, we're going to be face to face with Him in the air. We're going to see the Lord in the air. And it says, and are gathering together to Him. This gathering, this word here in the Greek means to bring together, to come together. And the word actually implies motion, which is interesting. It implies motion or moving forward. And that, what I believe when you think of the rapture, the rapture is in the Greek, in the Latin, harpazo, to be snatched away violently. We're going to be taken from this earth supernaturally by God, and we're going to be snatched away into the presence of the Lord in the heavenlies with those that first precede us that have died in Christ. John Phillips, a commentator on the day of Christ versus the day of the Lord, and we see these two terminologies in in God's Word, the day of Christ and the day of the Lord. He makes a distinction between the two, and I thought this was good. The day of Christ is eminent, meaning that it could happen at any moment that Jesus Christ could return for the church and rapture the church. The day of the Lord can come only after numerous other things have prepared the way. The day of Christ, and I'm going to be going back and forth, the day of Christ is for the church. The day of the Lord is for the world. The day of Christ is primarily a day of joy. The day of the Lord is primarily a day of judgment. The day of Christ is the church's. The day of the Lord is the world's whore. Everything that Paul is now about to reveal is true of the day of the Lord. None of it is true of the day of Christ. The day of Christ is the subject of the previous verse. He's speaking of the text that we're in. We beseech you, brethren, by the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a distinction, I believe, between the day of Christ, which I believe is in reference to us meeting the Lord in the air, and the day of the Lord, which is going to be God intervening into this world during that seven-year tribulation period. That will begin shortly after the rapture of the church. It's important to note that the believers in Thessalonica that they weren't afraid that the day of Christ was coming. They were afraid that it had already come. That's why Paul was having to write this letter of correction. They had been told or they were thinking that Christ maybe has already come and that we are living in the day of the Lord, the tribulation period. One of the reasons for that could be that they were living in a time in church history under great persecution. They were being persecuted for their faith. They knew what some of the things were that Paul probably had spoken about, a future time of judgment that was coming. 
And this persecution that they were living in, it was making them wonder, are we living in those days? Have you ever heard that today? People do the same thing today. You know, we're living in the tribulation now. I mean, look at the world. I don't believe in a literal seven-year tribulation period. I think we're in the tribulation now. You can find teaching like that if you want to go online and start looking at it. No, I don't believe we're living in the tribulation period. That is still yet future, but... I believe that the early church, just like many today, were confused at this point on this topic. If I told you to get ready to enter the tribulation period, if my teaching up here was I'm exhorting you to get ready because you're going to be going into the tribulation period, And that you're going to be killed. Many of you are going to be killed for your faith during that seven-year tribulation period. You're going to be beheaded for your faith. I think that it would probably be troubling to most of you. I I don't think, but there are some people, for whatever reason, they grab onto this and they say, yeah, but God will protect us. Well, that's not what I see of the believer. The believers are being beheaded for their faith. There's a difference between uh, the tribulations that we live in in this world as Christians and even those that are being martyred for their faith around the world. There's more Christians being martyred, martyred today than in any time in church history all around the world. We live in a world full of tribulation. Jesus says, but be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. But we are not living in a time of God's wrath where we are living in the church age, the time of God's grace upon this world. He's compelling people to come before the day of the Lord comes. The teaching of the apostles and I believe the Holy Spirit has always been that the day of the the Lord or the day of Christ, excuse me, is at hand. That we should be living that way as Christians. That we should be ready. Uh, because Christ could come back at any moment. That's a, that's a good place to be living in. That way. You see, if I knew that there was a bunch of things that still had to happen before Christ could return. Meaning like the desolation of abomination and all the various things we read about in Scripture that have not happened yet. Then it would be real easy for me to say, well, you know what? The Lord couldn't come back today. There's no way because, you know, this hasn't even happened yet or this hasn't happened. You could, it's not, you know, we would be probably a lot more slack. How would you feel if you came into this church one Sunday and there was only a couple of you here? It was 10 o'clock. Where is everybody? Where'd they go? I, I think it would be a little bit alarming to you, wouldn't it? Hopefully it wouldn't be me saying the rest of you all been raptured and I'm the only, you know, <laughs> me and one of you there, you know, and hopefully it won't come down that way. I don't think it will. But there's great hope in the fact that Christ is going to take us to be with him. Paul again In verse 2, he he tells these believers not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by, look what he says, either by spirit 
or by word or by letter. Three different ways. As if from us, as though the day of Christ... What's he say? Look at your Bibles. That the day of Christ has come. That it's already come. Don't let your your minds be shaken. Don't be troubled when people are coming to you. If somebody says, hey, i got a prophecy for you. You know, the Lord's coming back and here's the date. How many people have tried? I found one website, over 200 predictions and dates, all of them proven false already. 200 of them going all the way back to the, the time, you know, early church. Predictions, dates, Messiah's coming, all these different things. And they've all proven false. Don't let anyone trouble you. This being shaken in mind, the actual word shaken there means to be jolted in your mind. It it means to be agitated in your mind. Think of the believers there in Thessalonica. They're a little bit shaken over this thought because people are saying that, you know, we've missed this. We're we're living in the day of the Lord, this time of God's judgment. They're, They're troubled. The word trouble means to be in a continuing state of being upset. That's what these early believers were experiencing. Paul says either by spirit, and it could have been some misguided prophet. Could have been some teacher that is saying, hey, got a prophecy for you. Got a word from the Lord. And maybe some of them were beginning, really? Wow. And, And that's happened all the way through the centuries. People have made predictions and they've been proven false. He says, or by word. And maybe uh, there were some who were just talking or, or giving their own opinions. You know, that happens. I taught the book of Revelation when we were over at the high school there. And there's a lot of different ideas that come up. And some of them were from you. We all have our different thoughts and ideas about these. All I say is, if you are a Christian and you are looking at end times events and you're looking at prophecy, and you're looking, do your homework. Do your homework. Don't go to the internet and find all your answers because you're going to just get all confused. Just look to the Word of God and then say, Holy Spirit, would you teach me this truth? He says by word or by letter. And maybe there was even some teachers in the day that were beginning now to write letters uh, in rebuttal and writing their own views in regards to the tribulation period and the day of the Lord. And so the believers were becoming confused and they were becoming agitated and shaken in mind. Keep in mind that in this period of church history, when these believers at Thessalonica were worrying and being agitated about these things, they didn't even have the full revelation that we have. You see, the book of Revelation wasn't even written until around 95 AD. This was, you know, uh, quite a few years later. They didn't even have all the written New Testament. First and second Thessalonians was just being given to them. And 
So there was a lot that the early church needed to see as an unfolding of these truths pertaining to the return of Christ. What they did have is they had their Old Testament prophets. They had their Old Testament scriptures that spoke much of the day of the Lord, about the day of the Lord. As a matter of fact, everything that you read in the book of Revelation, did you know that it is really just an explanation of everything that was written in the Old Testament? That everything you find in the book of Revelation, you would have to go to the Old Testament and find the correlating passages that explain what it's talking about in the book of Revelation. They didn't have the book of Revelation yet. Paul goes on to clarify what he's about to tell them and talks to them about some key events that needed to happen before the tribulation period or during the tribulation or before what is called the day of the Lord or the second coming of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 3. Let no one deceive you. That word deceive means let no one seduce you. Let no one beguile you. In other words, there were those that were being deceptive. Just as there are today. We need to be careful, church, who you listen to. Who you turn on the radio to. Who you, because there are those that are out there, whether they are deliberately or not deliberately, they are deceptive in what they are saying. Let no one deceive you by any means. By any means goes back to what we just said. By spirit, by word, or by letter, or we'll add on to there in our day, internet. For the day will not come Notice that the day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Verse 1 is dealing with the rapture of the church. From verse 2 on, we're dealing now with the day of the Lord, which is that period of seven-year tribulation period. And so Paul says, don't let anyone deceive you into thinking that you're living in the tribulation period right now, because let me tell you why. There are these things that you will need to see. If you haven't seen that, you're not in the tribulation period. And he goes through and he begins to talk about, first off, this falling away. Now, the word there is actually the word apostasy. And there's a couple of different, again, a couple of different interpretations of this. One speaks of the apostasy as being a falling away of believers from the faith. Whether they're true believers and they just start beginning these last days to start walking away from their faith and from the Lord. The word and the Greek word uh, falling away could actually, uh, it, it actually speaks of a rebellion or a departure is what the word means. It actually is interpreted in some translations as a departure. 
And so you have uh, these different these different ideas on it. But there are some that believe that this falling away could also refer back to verse 1, the rapture of the church. That this falling away, until there is the rapture of the church or this departure from this, that the man of sin can't be revealed. In other words, the day of the Lord is ushered in after the rapture of the church. Then the day of the Lord begins and that seven-year tribulation period begins. You're probably asking, but what's your opinion? What's your thoughts? I'm going to go either way. I don't know. I don't really know what that what the actual answer is to that. I could see both, to be honest with you, but it won't make a difference. I'm not trying to bring confusion to you, by the way. But we do read this and some other passages that talk about what it's going to be like in the latter times, in the last days. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul wrote Timothy and he says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience, seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. So, Paul tells Timothy, in the latter times, some will depart from the faith. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, Paul also writes, But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, from such people turn away. Sounds like today. Sounds like we're living in that time. The last days. Last days, by the way, started back in the book of Acts. 2,000 years ago. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing and His kingdom. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering teaching, for the time will come. He's not saying it's here yet, but the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. These are all, I believe, speaking of the time frame even that we're living in today. Be careful, Christians, about what you hear, what you take to heart, the doctrines you take on board. Make sure that what you are seeing and reading, that it's got to be in God's Word. It's not going to be all the various different kinds of people I love to hear because they're just great communicators. Make sure that what they are saying is truth. Not just because you like the way they can move. You know, 
we, we're living in desperate days, church. Itchy ears. That means that these people, they just want to come and hear what they want to hear, man. Don't, don't talk about God's judgment. And don't even talk about end times. You start talking about end times, start talking about Jesus Christ coming back. I don't like all that stuff. I just like to live for the Lord. You know, do as, you know, people get funny about these things. Jesus, there's more spoken about Christ's second return than his first. It says, in the man of sin is revealed the son of perdition or the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped. This man of sin, I believe, is actually going to be and is possibly even right now a human being. It's not a system that's out in our world. The man of sin is not Satan himself. The man of sin, I believe, is a human being that at some point will be possessed by Satan himself during the tribulation period. Paul refers to him as the man of sin. He also calls him the lawless one. The lawless one is the one who breaks the law who willfully violates God's laws. It speaks of one who is the very embodiment of lawlessness. That's the Antichrist during the tribulation period. He's referred to throughout Scripture as the beast, the Antichrist, the little horn, And the list goes on of the various names that are attributed to him. But here Paul refers to him as the son of perdition. Now there's only actually one other person in Scripture. Do you know who that is? The person that's referred to as the son of perdition is Judas Iscariot. That's why some people have thought and taught and believed that really the Antichrist is going to be a reincarnated Judas Iscariot. And maybe in the manner in which he comes and how he is, yes. I don't know that he is going to be Judas Iscariot himself. But he's referred to as the son of perdition, which essentially means the doomed one. Or the hopelessly lost one. That's what the Antichrist is referred to as. We're running out of time. (laughs) And I'm not going to press this. I'm not going to go to the 17th verse like I told you I was, so don't be nervous. (laughs) Revelation 13.14 says that this Antichrist, that he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. This is the middle of the tribulation period. Paul is giving this as an earmark. He's giving this as a, as a point in which, a reference point in which these believers could say, we're not in the day of the Lord. We're not there yet. As those people are telling us that, we're not in the tribulation period, church. And don't let anyone tell you that we are. 
It's going to be a very specific time during the tribulation period. It's going to be a time of outpouring of God's wrath. It's going to be a time where the Antichrist, by the middle of the tribulation period, is going to be in full swing and full force. And that temple that he, that covenant that he makes with the nation of Israel, where they are allowed to rebuild their temple, at the middle of the tribulation, we're told that he is going to set up his image in the holy place. You know where the holy place is? The holy place is where the Ark of the Covenant used to, to sit, reside, behind that veil. He's going to set up his image within that holy place and at that point demand that he be worshipped as God. And the Jews are going to realize that they have been deceived and they're going to flee to Petra. They're going to flee to the land of Edom where God is going to supernaturally protect a remnant of his people Israel and he's going to save a remnant of his people during that time. Paul is telling these Believers there at Thessalonica, you're not in the day of the Lord. You haven't missed it. We hope you have enjoyed today's study. For more information on teachings, events, worship times, and location, please visit our website, ccfwinstonsalem.com. From Pastor Greg and all of us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship, thank you for listening and being part of our study through God's Word.